Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, World Religions, Colts in the Occult, number 13. Pastor Tom, I'm not even looking at you. Don't freak out. I don't have eyes in my head. I just remember you sitting there. Chaos, part two. Whoa, part two. That's right. If you'd say it in French, what would you say? Part two. Whatever, let's get off that French thing. We're going to get sidetracked tonight, John. Let's forget about it. The untold history of the charismatic movement. That's the part two. Part one, as we saw, the first 20 was dealing with all their aberrant behavior, aberrant beliefs, and things of that nature. Now we're into the untold history. Now, by way of re recap, we've blown away the whole idea. They say, well, the reason why it's so strange, the reason why we're wiggling around doing all this weird stuff that, frankly, is not even in the Bible, the justification, they say, is because it's a last days movement of the Holy Spirit of God. That's why it's so strange. No, it's not the same chicanery the, sh the same kind of behavior has been going on since the death of the last apostle with montanism now and we had been dealing for many 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 weeks going through that trail of history and we landed on eventually number 17 <laughs> okay and that was the event they say that it supposedly it just started then 1906 the azusa street revival is that true no, we have all this historical example. It's nothing new under the sun. It's just repackaged, redone for each generation. Same old kind of behavior. But be that as it may, one thing they do have right, from the Azusa Street Revival, this charismatic behavior really began to spread. Uh, all across America and frankly around the world. And it spread very rapidly. In 1906, they began to spread, but at the same time, they began to split to split into a massive amount of different uh, denominations. And not just denominations, and not just, I don't even want to say Christian denominations, because we're going to see again tonight, if you are adding to the cross of Christ, that's not the gospel. And if that's what you're trusting in, guess what? I'll say it. You're not saved. I didn't say that God did. Okay? You got to trust in the gospel. So that means that these people aren't just Christian denominations. Okay? Uh, they are, uh, to use the word, they're what? They are pseudo. They are fake. They are fake Christians, okay? Now, what we've been seeing is one of the split-offs we've been dealing with, of course, is oneness Pentecostalism, okay? And frankly, it is a cult. In fact, uh, a lot of these ones, even we're going to bring up tonight, that has split off from the charismatic movement, they're also cult behaviors, okay? And they also are pseudo-Christian. They're not real Christians. Why? Because they are following, unfortunately, the behavior of a cult, right? How do you know you're getting involved in a cult? How do you know that uh, uh, you're going to be led astray and things of that nature? Well, it's always the same five things we saw before. Number one, you're going to get off the source of authority. What is the source of authority for uh, you and I, or anybody who claims to be a Christian? Right here, it's the Bible. The Bible and Bible alone, sola scriptura, only the Bible. Well, that's the problem with the charismatic community. From the outset, it isn't just the Bible, it's their experience. Or God told me to tell you, or so-called prophet or prophetess, or this so-called apostle, and they got some new revelation, new dream, new... No, you don't, right? We have all that we need right here. If you stick with the Bible, you can't be led astray. But that's their premise, so guess what? They're off the Bible, and when you get off the Bible, what happens? Here comes false teachers, false teaching, and here comes a cult. And oneness Pentecostalism, folks, is a cult. Now, we saw that once you get off of that, you're going to get everything else mi mixed up. Why? Because it spills downhill. Okay, now we saw, by way of recap, too, uh, who's one of the biggest, most popular oneness Pentecostals out there? Many people have heard of him, but they don't realize he's a oneness Pentecostal. T.D. Jakes. Okay, and unfortunately, he's got a huge influence, okay? But one is Pentecostalism is uh, all the signs of a cult. Why? Because they don't just trust the Bible. Okay, number two, it spills downhill. They got the nature of God and the Trinity wrong. They do not believe in the Trinity. They believe in what's called modalism, uh, and, and that is not the biblical version of the Trinity. Then we saw, of course, you get Jesus wrong. 
and they actually say that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Holy Spirit, whoa, again, messing up the Trinity. Then they want to say that it's only in Jesus only, okay, you gotta, it can only be Jesus' name, and we saw that that's not true uh, as well. Then, of course, they got the nature of man they get wrong, and that basically man has the capability of doing good. Excuse me, we just quoted Romans 3 last time. What did it say? No one is good. Now, what part of that don't you get? No one is righteous. No, not one. No one does good. Not even one. How many times is Paul going to say it? Right? Okay? If it weren't for the grace and the mercy of God, we're all doomed. Okay? So they get that wrong. And then where we left off last time, they get the means of salvation wrong. Why? Because they add to the cross and they say there's works that you have to do. That's called a false gospel. That's a works-based gospel, which is not the gospel. The first work we looked at, we're going to look at again tonight. They say, oh, it's Jesus, uh, but, and as we saw before, anytime somebody says Jesus and Jesus, but, in this case, we'll see tonight, Jesus, however, that's not the gospel. And so what they say is it's Jesus and you have to be baptized, okay, in order to be saved. That's not what the gospel says. Okay, but let's take a look at the top of the page. Let's read that uh, first paragraph again, the means of salvation, and we get into it. One, this Pentecostals agree with the historical biblical Christianity that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, sins can be forgiven and humanity reconciled to God. However, er, draw a line around that, put asterisks, do your explosion, do whatever you want, highlight it in multicolors, whatever technique to grab your attention. That's right, put a piece of gum there if you have to, I don't care. It says, what, however, what's that mean? What'd they just do? They're off. They're right off. It's not, now it's not only Jesus. However, oneness Pentecostals add, okay, to the saving work of Christ, works, is your blank there, if you haven't already filled that one out, works needed for salvation. So stop right there. So everyone who's a, quote, oneness Pentecostal, and if they're really trusting in works, if they've added works to the cross of Christ, biblically speaking, are they a Christian? No, they can't be. Because they're not trusting solely in the work of Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, okay? Now, let's continue on. They also maintain baptism, it's not just baptism, but baptism is necessary for salvation, and it has to be by immersion, and not only that, it has to be by immersion, it must be administered with the formula of in Jesus' name only. Why? Because they deny the Trinity. But that is the biblical formula, Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've already dealt with that. I'm not going to go into that again. But they say it has to be done in Jesus' name only. And they say it has to be administered by a duly ordained minister of the oneness Pentecostal church, if you want to even call it that. Okay, but wait a second. So you mean to tell me that apparently all the people prior to 1914, when you popped up on the scene roughly, okay, they're, they're not saved? Because there was no oneness Pentecostal person to baptize him specifically in Jesus' name only. And according to you, you have to do that in order to be saved. That's not the gospel. Now, hopefully you got this passage memorized, but just again, to show you how blunt the scripture is, it is only by faith, an act of God's grace that is tapped into when we believe. Okay, uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, let's take a look there. Ephesians chapter 2 and um, verses 2, um, uh, chapter 2, 8 and 9. And uh, we'll go ahead and read 10 because that one always seems to get skipped over, unfortunately. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 8. 
I don't know how much clearer you can get to this. It is the cross of Jesus alone, period, ipso facto. We're just quoting the Bible. You don't need to know some southern hidden Hebrew Greek with some Bible code attached to it that you can figure out on a formula that you got from this nifty device you found in a Cracker Jacks box, okay, that has a little wheel on it. And these, have you ever get one of those, Johns? And you like turn the wheel and it gives you the number seven and that directs to the southward, but yeah, whatever. Okay, I stalled enough time. We're there, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10, right? For it is by what? It is by baptism and being baptized specifically in, 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 in Jesus' name only by somebody involved in one that's Pentecostalism. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. It is by grace you have been saved through what? What taps into God's grace? Faith. Believing. That's it. And then how do you get any more specific than this? And this is what? Not from yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God. Let's keep going. Not of works why so that no one can boast you ain't got you ain't gonna get there say hey god i tell you what thank you for that cross thing that was pretty cool it got me kick-started but the rest of it i was able to show how spiritual i was that's really what people are doing this is they you ain't gonna boast before god this is a complete act of his mercy right you believed on the lord jesus christ you will be saved now for it is a god we have got for god's workmanship we've been creating christ jesus to do good works notice that follows what after you get saved, after you get saved by grace through faith, okay, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you don't want to say that you shouldn't do works, but works are not what save you, including what you've turned into a work, i.e. baptism. And again, it's really convoluted with these guys because it isn't just baptism, it's baptism specifically only in Jesus' name and specifically only with their guy, okay? That's a works-based gospel. That's a false-based gospel. Now, the big term for this we're going to hit this a little bit again and we'll move on because they, it's, it's, it's more than just baptism. We're going to give it a couple more tonight that they add to the cross of Christ. And again, folks, that's not the gospel, which means these people, that's what they're trusting. They ain't saved. And that's scary, right? Because it, they, they get like a free pass. Well, that's just a kind of an offshoot of the charismatic people and they kind of do weird stuff. And No, they're not Christians. If you're trusting as something else to get you to heaven other than only Jesus, you're not saved. But the big fancy word for this, believing that baptism is what gets you saved, is baptismal regeneration. Da, 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 da. Doesn't that sound? That's your big word for today. You're not going to get that on the granola bar, Jim, but you're going to get it here at sunrise on Wednesday nights. That's amazing. Baptismal regeneration. Basically what that means is you are not regenerated, i.e. indwelt with the Holy Spirit, i.e. born again, until you are baptized. You get it? Hence baptismal regeneration okay and uh and again this is popular with a lot of people who claim to be christians but if this is what you're trusting in it's not the gospel so guess what you're pseudo you're fake you're not real christians sorry okay and again they mentioned several people and a lot of it comes from guess what group where are you at charismatics okay a lot of them trust in works they add to the gospel unfortunately so this is a serious issue because, man, you can get it wrong. Okay, if you want to jump up and down, and, and maybe you got a different uh, view on the gifts, okay, whatever. But, man, don't get, how do you get to heaven wrong? Don't add to the cross of Christ. That one, I'm going to go to town with you because we're talking about eternity here. You want to wear robes? We don't wear robes. You want to stand up? We want to sit down? Whatever. Hey, that's a, it's like not this one. you got to get this one 
right. So we need to deal with it. Now, again, as we saw before, uh, and we're going to talk about tonight, other charismatic groups also believe you need to be baptized in order to be saved, which is a false gospel. The Restoration Movement, the Church of Christ, we'll get to that again tonight, uh, the International Church of Christ, and others. And of course, Oneness Pentecostalism. Okay, they all have spun out from this time frame that they say is the greatest movement. If only we would be blessed to have that thing happen again. The Azusa Street Revival. Uh-uh. As we saw before. Okay. Now, again, as we saw last time, I'm not going to go into that. They try to justify it with passages of Scripture. Mark 16, John 3, 5, Acts 2, 38, Acts 22, 16, Galatians 3, 1 Peter 3, and for biblical support. Now, if you did a quick read and you weren't paying attention, and that's not how you're supposed to read the Bible... It, you might get fooled into thinking, oh, hey, I guess you got to be baptized. No. As we took a look last time, every single one of those, no. It's either completely ripped out of context or no, that's not at all what it is saying. Slow down. Let the Bible speak for itself. Okay. Uh, so they want to try to justify it, but it doesn't hold water. Uh, the standard Protestant understanding is that uh, faith is the one thing that God requires for salvation. Okay. Those of the baptismal regeneration persuasion, believe that baptism, and some will even go further. They'll say you have to have a, a, a long time of repentance and a long time of confession. So they're even going to add to that. Now, is it a good thing to repent? And should you confess your sins? Okay, but again, you can't turn those into works. What is the one thing that's required for salvation? We just read it, Ephesians, faith. And then I'll guarantee you, when you get, at the moment you're indwelt at salvation with the Holy Spirit, which happens at the moment you get saved and you're born again, guess what's the natural thing that follows? Boy, you start, sin bugs you and you start confessing that stuff, right? But they get the cart before the horse. But see, that's the game. Well, repent of what? Well, confess how much? What if I forgot a sin? How do I know which one? And that's where the game plays. They're, they got their list, they got their list. What? No. So they'll even add to it more than that. Okay, but again, the scripture is very clear. Whoever, what, believes, John 3, 16. Who doesn't know that one? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes and is baptized in Jesus' name only, and of course, he's got to have this repentance and confession. It's got to be a oneness Pentecostal guy that was only around since 1914. <sighs> well, that's a lot in that Greek word, isn't it? Well, it's not because it's not there. No, it's just simply believes, right? Shall not perish, but have eternal life. Acts 16.30, the Philippian jailer asked the apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? Boop, stop right there. Now, if ever there was an opportunity for Paul to say, well, yeah, you gotta, it starts with believing, but however, and or you got to add baptism, this would have been the place. But what did Paul say? He had the question, what must I do to be saved? Here it is. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. No baptism, no long string of confession, whoever gets to make that list up, okay, uh, or repentance, whatever. And again, those sort of things I think that naturally follow after getting saved, but that's not what saves you, okay, is the big thing. And again, there's dozens and dozens. We saw last time the New Testament talks about it is by grace through faith that we are saved, okay? Receiving salvation is not a process or a multi-step formula. It's a finished product. It's not a recipe. What must I do to be saved? I need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, stop right there. I will add a little bit to that because sometimes that's even got turned into what I call Christianese. And how many times you hear people say this? Well, I, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. That's not what he's talking about there, right? When the scripture talks about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just some mental ascent. Well, yeah, uh, I've never saw Abraham Lincoln, but I believe he existed. 
That, if that's all what you're thinking about, that's, that's not what he means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Right? What he's talking about is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did. That he died on the cross for us. And I believe on that. I believe on what he did for me as an act of mercy. I believe that it's the cross and the cross alone. It's the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. Right? Not of any righteous deeds I could do. It's him alone. That's what I believe on. I, that's, that's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you place your faith in. Because we saw James chapter 2 says, hey, you want the mental ascent thing? Oh, you're in trouble. If that's all it is, a mental, I, I just, yeah, I never saw Jesus. I believe, I believe in God. Yep, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. Really. James chapter 2, how many times have we talked about this? Even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Are demons saved? No. Okay, mental ascent does not save you. So I will say that. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ what he's talking about there, okay? And that's why, folks, if you had to add works to being saved, this is something you better not mess around with, right? Because what if you did the first step that they say, okay, starts it, if you will. Okay, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Okay, but, and here comes that list, and the first one on their list was, you better be baptized. Well, what if on the way to getting baptized, you fell down and broke your neck? Or what if you had a heart attack? Or what if you, you, you didn't quite make it there? Or what if, you know, what, what, woo, right? I mean, if that was truly true, you're only halfway there. And you know what you do? You probably end up getting baptized like this kid. Watch this. This is crazy. All right. Oh, this next one. This is a good one. This one is crazy. This is, this is a kid uh, about to get baptized, and he changed things up on his pastor. I mean, his pastor thought he was just going to have a normal baptismal service. And, uh, well, watch this. Now, if that was my son, hey, the Bible says do not spare the rod. <laughs> hey, how many guys said that when the pastor was done drying his hands, he probably was ready to lay hands on that wonderful little boy or maybe leave him under a little bit longer. But no, I, I, that, that's not good. Don't think that. Don't think that, Jim. I know it's funny. Okay. Uh, but hey, can't you understand this kid? I mean, let's put it in the context of one is Pentecostalism. Hey, that kid's not saved. I mean, he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but that just got a kickstart. I, I got to be baptized. I, get out of my way. Ah, cannonball. I'd do the same thing. Because what if I died? What if I trip? I broke my neck. I choked on a piece of chicken. You know that could happen, unfortunately, for the people who do that. Right? Woo! But that's crazy, folks. Okay? We don't do cannonballs getting baptized. Baptism is something that's symbolic. It's a good thing. But baptism is not what saves us. But that's what they say uh, with that. But again, that's just the beginning. Let me just camp on this a little bit, this false teaching that you've got to be baptized to be saved. It isn't just oneness Pentecostalism, right? This is the Church of God International. I printed this directly off of their website, 2019. And the question is posed, is water baptism required for salvation? Right here. Okay, and let me read for you. And listen to what they say. Some claim it is not necessary to be baptized. Have you ever heard a radio or TV preacher deliver a message similar to this? 
That if you want to be saved, all you do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As you sit in your car or home or even uh, if you're in a bar, you just say that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You accept him as your Savior and instantly you'll be saved. You don't even need to be baptized. Is that true? Do you not need to be baptized to be saved? Can any person become a Christian simply whispering that they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah, but that's not what they say. Or is there more? Quote, baptism puts us into the divine family of God. At baptism, and they're not talking spirit baptism, they're talking water baptism, uh, we become begotten sons of God and earn the right to call him father. Ooh, what's that word there? Oh, dude, right out of your mouth. You're not trusting in Christ, right? The ceremony of baptism, listen to this. Listen to how blunt they are with this false teaching. This is works-based through and through. The ceremony of baptism completely cleanses the repentant person of all past sins. What? The cross of Christ does that, not baptism. And they said at that moment when you're water baptized, he stands before God as a holy vessel. It is then that the baptizing person places his hands, the person that's baptizing the person, places his hands on that person to be baptized and asks God to put the Holy Spirit in that person. Whoa! That is a work of God that you are sealed. Ephesians 1, it's just one passage we already saw. That the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, instantly, that's a work from God. The word born again, it's in the Greek, it means onathan, born from above, right? Born from a higher place. The Holy Spirit who is God, he comes to indwell us. He is our deposit, our guarantee, our inheritance that we are going to heaven. He seals us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's a work of God. It happens at salvation. So again, man, no wonder these guys, I, gotta, I better do a cannonball. I got to hurry up. I ain't got the Spirit of God. I haven't been baptized yet. But this is really what they believe, folks. That is not the gospel. And yet they're going around saying what? They're Christians just like you and I. Folks, this is as lost and just of a false gospel as anything that Jehovah's Witnesses would teach and Mormons teach. They're not saved. These people ain't either if this is what they're trusting. It's very serious. And they say, quote, listen to this, you must obey this command to be baptized uh, of your master, your Lord and Savior, if you are truly to be saved. They claim to be Christians. Now, that was them. Let's talk about the Church of Christ. Okay, the Church of Christ, basically, like this guy says, he, he says they are borderline cult-like in their preferences, practices, and doctrines. And they are. You talk about big-time legalism uh, and stuff, but that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. One issue that they have, we've talked about this before, but since we're here, we'll kick it again, is the Church of Christ. And again, they're out there. People say, oh, it's Church of Christ. Must be Christian. No, not even close right? Uh, number one thing they will do, they will not allow musical instruments in their church services, period. While we entertain that the, we have Christian freedom that, okay, if you didn't want to have music instruments in your church service, okay, I'll, I'll give you that freedom. We got freedom in Christ. Uh, but, but see, that's the problem. It's not reciprocated. They are fanatically against musical instruments. Some are fanatical to the point of declaring, listen, that any church that uses musical instruments are not even being a true biblical godly church. Now, that, now you're into a cult. Excuse me? Okay. Such dogmatism on a clearly non-essential issue is a mark of a cult, not a biblical church. And folks, it's so obvious. It's so goofy that once again, even this guy knows the truth. Let's take a look. I uh, used to be a praise and worship leader for many different religious groups before I became a Christian. <laughs> I, uh, 
Thank you for laughing. You're so tolerant. I used to lead praise and worship at a Jehovah's Witness church one time. Sing songs like, Someone's knocking at your door. Somebody's ringing your bell. And let me in. <laughs> then I was at a Mormon church for a while. We used to sing songs like, I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it away. Then it got really weird. I am a ha, I am a hari, I am a hari hari Krishna, can't you see? And I have hari hari Krishna in my H E A R T, and when I reincarnate, I hope I don't come back as a bee. Hey! Well, seen that. Became a believer, and I led worship at a Church of Christ. <laughs> You can laugh. Go ahead. They laugh. They love that joke. Because it's funny. Why is it funny? Because, come on, even he knows. Come on. Are you serious? You can't have musical instruments. Open your Bible to Psalm 150. If you're ever wondering, that's the last one that we have. Oh, by the way, Psalm, what's Psalm mean? Psalms mean songs, right? Right smack dab in the middle of the Bible, there's 150 different songs, okay? And notice that the songs were not a cappella, okay? But this is just one quick, easy example, okay, that we see. Instruments, I think instruments are perfectly fine. In fact, I think it's uh, something that God actually enjoys uh, from us in a godly fashion, I will say that. But here's what it says, Psalm 150, it's page 991 of my Bible, if that helps. You guys there yet? All right, thank you. Okay, that sped it up, didn't it? All right, Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord, Right? Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. But whatever you do, don't you dare bring in a musical instrument. That's from the devil. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong translation. That's bad Hebrew. Uh, what's it say? Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay? Give me a break. Saying that way, whatever. But again, see, once you get off the Bible and God told me to tell you or sister so-and-so had this dream and it's a new revelation from God, you come with all kinds of weird stuff. Okay, now that's just the one thing of the church in Christ. A second issue is that they claim to be, listen, the one true church, quote, outside of which there is no salvation. Direct quote. Whoa. Now how's that any different than the cult of Roman Catholicism? That you aren't, you, they look at you and I as the Protestants, and we ain't saved. They admit in their writings in the catechism, you have to be under the Catholic Church or you're doomed. How's that any different? But again, you're supposed to be Christian like me, but you said if you're not, listen, this is not even just charismatic movement. This is a, a subset, split off of the charismatic movement that was a recent development in history, church history, and then you're saying you're the only one true church. Which means the rest of us, they're saying, you're not saved because we're outside of the church of Christ. Which means apparently, again, backtrack all those people throughout history until you came on the scene, they're doomed straight to hell. Because how did they ever get to be a part of the church of Christ? You weren't in existence yet. It's ridiculous. 
uh, is what they say. It's unbiblical. There is no one church or denomination that encompasses the entire body of Christ. The one true church of Christ is composed of all those who have, by grace, through faith, personally received Jesus Christ as Savior. The church is composed of true believers everywhere, no matter the local church or denomination affiliation. The claim of exclusive access to salvation is another common identification of a cult, right? The third thing about the church of Christ, again, just like these other ones, they emphasize you got to be baptized in order to be saved, okay? Now, there's no denying that baptism, again, is important. It's intended to be an initial act of obedience after you get saved. I'll give you that, okay? And, and that's a good thing to do, but it's not required for salvation. So they add to that. Yet they teach, the Church of Christ teaches that baptism is a work that God requires, listen, before he grants salvation. So you're not saved. Sorry. To say that good works must be present before a person is saved is to make salvation dependent on our obedience. It's a works-based salvation. It's not salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Titus 3, 5, we talked about that, says, He, God, saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing and regeneration of the renewal by the Holy Spirit, which happens, bang, the moment you get saved, by grace through faith. Period. Okay, let me give you one more. The International Church of Christ. Notice they just keep splitting off and splitting off and splitting off. These guys uh, are a group of uh, uh, what's uh, split off of what's called so the Restoration Movement. Maybe you've seen some of that out there in denomination. Well, this is a restoration church. Do you believe in restorationism? Well, pay attention, folks. It's a charismatic thing. Uh, they're also exclusivists. Uh, they teach that any church that is not under their leadership is not a part of the true church. Okay, so again, so that would even not only disavow anybody else like you and I, it would disavow even their own people they've split off from, from the Charismatics, the one that's Pentecostals, even the Church of Christ. You say, they say no, 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 you're, because you're not the International Church of Christ. See how goofy this gets? It's crazy, right? And again, they're out there claiming to be Christians, but they're not. So guess what? It's a pseudo-false Christian cult. No different than Jehovah's Witnesses. No different than Mormons, Christian science, Seventh-day Adventism, all that stuff that trusts on works. It's the same thing. These guys get a free pass, unfortunately, right? And so they say that you've got to be a part of their church, okay? And uh, it, they also depart from the biblical teaching. They say that baptism is required for salvation, that anyone who is not baptized is not saved. They're very blunt about it, okay? And it has to be, this is like similar to the one that's Pentecostal, it has to be under the auspices of the International Church of Christ. That's the only baptism that can save, quotes, no other baptism will do. So again, they only add to the cross, but it can only be through them. You have to be a part of them or you're not saved. And then the baptism can only be done through them. That, that, folks, that's not the gospel. And again, other problems they have, which is unfortunately we saw before, is rampant through much of the charismatic belief system, is they reject eternal security, okay, that uh, you can lose it. Well, if you believe you've got to work for it, then it's only natural you think you can lose it. But that's not what the Bible says. It's complete in Christ. The reason why our salvation is eternal secure, because it's done. When Jesus said, it's finished, it's finished. Praise God. It's secure because it's secure in him. It's based on him. It's by him, for, uh, for him, through him, right? It's, it's, his, it's his salvation, not ours, by the way. Did you, you know that, right? So it, that's what makes it secure, not us, okay? But they reject all that. 
Now, let's real quick talk about that restoration movement. Uh, it's part of a broader movement called restorationism. Uh, it be- began, again, when these guys began to split off, okay, when a lot of this charismatic behavior was going on. And, uh, and, and, and what was the premise? We need to form the true church based on, and this is always what seems to come out, we need to go back to what the early church did and live like they did and teach what they taught back in especially Acts chapter 2. Okay, so that was the premise. We got a bust off from that. And uh, their influential leaders of the movement was a, a two guys, Alexander Campbell and a guy named Barton W. Stone. And, but that didn't last too long because in 1906, right around here again, Azusa Street, they split. Welcome to the split group. All kinds of splits going on. And uh, the followers of Campbell and Stone, they divided into two sects uh, called the Church of Christ, the non-instrumental version. And then the Christian church, the Disciples of Christ. And then they begin to split even more after that. Now you have the Stone-Campbell Restoration Movement, the Christian Church's Disciples of Christ, the Churches of Christ, the Independent Christian Churches, Churches of Christ in Australia, Associated Churches of Christ in New Zealand, the United Reformed Church in UK, and others. How do we stay unified as Christians? Here it is. Be like-minded with one another. How how can we ever achieve like-mindedness? You just stick with the Bible and only the Bible. See, that's the problem. Then we're going to come to a, a, a consensus because God doesn't speak with forked tongue and he means what he says and he says what he means. And he didn't, he purposely wrote that Bible so only the spiritual elite who could squint one eye and have visions could tell us what it means. No, people, kids can understand this, right? So, but the problem is people don't stick with it, right? We, but, but when you get off of this, is it any surprise that the you got so many split-offs, and certainly a lot of them are in the charismatic movement. But this restoration movement, of course, uh, what must you do to be a Christian? Again, you have to be baptized to be saved, okay? Uh, obviously, directly contradicts Ephesians 2, 8, 9, as we already saw. Uh, but they also add this. It's not just being baptized, but the restoration movement says, in order to remain a Christian, we'll stop right there. The other guy said, earn, that's your red flag. These guys said to remain a Christian. So what does that mean? What are you trusting in to remain a Christian? The work of Jesus or your own? Well, they're trusting their own because they actually split it up into four categories, which very quickly turned into something very nebulous. How much and how long and who says? Here's those four things that they add on top of it's gotta be, uh, you gotta be baptized to be saved. That you have to pray. Okay, prayer is good, but how much? How much do you have to pray in order to maintain your salvation? And who could know that? And who gets to define that anyway? You guys. You have to study the Bible. All right, that's good. Studying the Bible good? Yes, Pastor Billy. Hey, thank you. Wow, you guys were so loud when you said that in unison. Automatically, it was a knee-jerk reaction. I feel encouraged. Uh, Yeah, it's good to study the Bible. But again, how much? Is it one chapter a day? Is it a book a day? How do you know? Who gets to make that up? Pray, uh, read the Bible. They say, oh, worship. All right, well, is it Romans 12 worship that says the, that we are to live our lives as living sacrifices? This is your pleasing and spiritual act of worship that our lives, the way we live is an act of worship or do you mean singing? And what if I pick the wrong one? How I know? And then if it is songs, what songs? Is it hymns? Is it, this? Is it instruments? Do you see the problem? 
It's nebulous. You never know. These people must be freaking out. Just like there is no rest for the Jehovah's Witness, there is no rest for the Mormon because you can never know. Because you can't know when you base things on your own works. And then they'll add this. They say that, you know, I have to pray, study the Bible, worship, but remain faithful. Now I'm in big trouble. What does that mean? Faithful? What's the opposite of faithful? Being faithless. How are you faithless? Well, basically when you sin. Well, wait a second. So that, unfortunately, happens every day. Except for John. We just won't go there. Right? No, seriously. So, so every day I'm losing my salvation? How much do I need to pray? I got to worship. Is it song? Is it life? How do I worship? How, who much? What? Huh? And then I just blew. What? So every day I got to keep. I got to keep doing this. It's a nightmare. Praise God. That's not the gospel. It's false gospel. But that's what they believe. If these are the requirements to maintain, uh, maintain salvation, it stands to reason. Okay, that according to this line of thinking, that anyone who does not continue in these quote disciplines, let alone if you weren't baptized you are in danger of losing your salvation. But the Bible is very clear. I'm not, we already dealt with the whole giant study on eternal security, okay, in our first part of this study. But the Bible is very clear. We are saved by God, Romans chapter eight. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God at the moment of salvation, Ephesians chapter one. We are kept until the day of redemption, Ephesians chapter four. And just as we were once born, we cannot be made unborn. The Bible uses irreversible terms to describe our salvation. We, we are born again. How do you get unborn? You can die, but you can't unborn yourself, right? We are given the gift, which means you can't earn it, the gift of eternal life. How long is it eternal? Last forever. Last time I checked. How does that which is eternal become uneternal? You can't. Right? The Bible's very clear, folks. Uh, and also that we are made new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, and we cannot be made old again. But you know what? If baptism, I'm not, I'm not even going to add those other things to add on to it, but let's just stick with all these different charismatic split-offs, including one, one is Pentecostalism. If baptism were necessary for salvation, then you and I better get cracking. And I'm serious. Uh, because there's a lot of people going to church services. Oh, they've, they've, they've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ you know, the, and his work on the cross. But apparently to these guys, that's not enough. They have got to be baptized in water. So we need to help them out. We need to go rent one of these trucks, and this is what we need to do throughout the whole We need to go as many church services as we can, right? And who cares? They're going to get mad at us for interrupting their services, or maybe we'll just get them when they're coming out, right? But this is what we need to do if we're going to help save these unfortunate people here in Las Vegas, let's, let's take a look. Go! Go! Okay, they're going to get mad. They're going to scream and yell because maybe they had lunch plans. They got to change their clothes. But now they're saved. Because Jim's going to be up there as I'm squirting with the hose. John, I might need your help because I'm a little bit, you know, I need some muscle behind that big. And we're just going to, hmm, and Jim's going to pray in Jesus' name only, by the way. Don't forget that one too, Jim, right? Because then we'll have to do it all over again. And, and then they'll get doubly mad with us. And we'll get them and pray, man. They're going to get, people, revival's going to bust out. Now we laugh at that, but basically that's what these people are doing. They're adding to the cross of Christ, saying that we have to do that, that somehow water and the act of getting wet is going to save us. 
Baptism is good. Baptism is something that follows salvation, but it's not something that saves you, right? Let's continue on down the workbook. Baptism is the first step in obedience. Is your blank there. First step in obedience of the new believer. It is the outward testimony to the world that the believer is identifying himself with Christ in death and resurrection to new life with the body of Christ. Baptism pictures outwardly what the Holy Spirit has accomplished inwardly by placing the believer into union with Jesus Christ and into Christ's spiritual body who is, which is the church, okay? A couple of verses, Acts chapter eight. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what permits me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you, what? Believe with all your heart, then you may. What came first? Believe, and they keep reading. And he answered and said, I, what? Believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so what came first? Belief, and then what followed? Baptism. So he said, all right, you believe. So he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down to the river. Philip, as well as the eunuch, uh, he baptized them, right? Romans 6, 3-4. Uh, Baptism is symbolic, right, of the spiritual work done in Christ. Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of life. That's the symbolism that we're identifying with the death and burial of Jesus Christ when we're lowest in the symbolic waters of baptism and we're raised to live a new life, right? And the Holy Spirit indwells us at salvation. Then he leads us as we walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5 right? How many guys are very glad that salvation is truly a symbolic thing uh, or that, that baptism is symbolic? Because how many guys are glad that it wasn't literal that when you were lowered into the waters of baptism, you died? Right? I'm, I'm glad that's symbolic of the death of Christ. I'm glad it's not literal. Baptism is something that's symbolic of the literal act that took place at salvation, which is by grace through faith, right? And then one more, 1 Corinthians 12, for if by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we're all made to one spirit to drink, and he's talking about spiritual baptism. That's at the moment you become a Christian when you're spiritually baptized, not water baptized, and that happens at salvation. Now, they're gonna add something else. I'm not even gonna use the word tongues, I'm gonna use what it is. You have to speak in gibberish to be saved. Now again, let's just do a quick recap. They say they trust in Jesus, but it's not really that. It's Jesus and. Now listen, look at how big the and's getting. It's Jesus and I gotta be baptized. And I'm just talking one is Pentecostalism. We already saw the other guys. It's Jesus and I gotta be baptized, but the and gets bigger even on baptism. And it has to be in Jesus' name only, and it can only be somebody that is into the one is Pentecostal false teaching. Okay? Now, on top of that, Okay, maybe I was able to pull it off. I finally did my cannonball into the baptism before I died. You're still not done. When you get out of that water, when you get out of that water, you better start doing this or you're not saved. Watch this. And if you've never prayed in tongues, if you follow my instructions, the anointing is here to do the rest. I can't do it for you, but I can tell you how to pray in supernatural languages. So you start speaking like little baby words and say them as fast as you humanly can when I begin to pray. And when the supernatural will become natural as you take a step, Peter, of faith. Raise your hands to the Holy God. 
and begin to pray in a language you've never been instructed. If you don't move your tongue and speak, no one else will do it in our own I know you don't know what to say. Make little nonsense syllables up. They're not nonsense. But if the first words coming out of your spirit, do it faster. I said faster. I said faster. You can do it faster than that. If I had a gun in your room, you'd do it faster. Deaf ears are being opened yes. right now yes. in we Jesus' agree. name. Backs are being healed. Wrists, tunnel, you're healed. In the Fingers, name of Jesus. in Jesus' name, right now. In the name of it. Jesus, I hallelujah. This is normal. <laughs> Let the whole world be normal. In the name of Jesus, you be made whole by the power of God. That's it. That's it. That's it. That is a whole new level of breakthrough in your life tonight. A whole new level of breakthrough in your life tonight. You got to end on that one. Folks, I mean, all kidding aside, I, I got to show you because this is what it is. This is what they believe. This is what they say. If you are going to be saved, Jesus is not enough. You have to be baptized. It has to be in Jesus only and his name only. It has to be one of their guys and you have to do that. Or you're not saved. Is that the gospel? Not even close. So that means uh, all these people believe in this, millions of them, claiming to be Christians, you are not saved. But then you and I are looked down upon because we don't do the gibberish. Notice I didn't say tongues. That is gibberish. That was not a language of any sort, and that was no different than what we saw when it first started in Azusa, they claimed, it's been going on since Montanism, okay? That's no different than eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Remember that thing? That was supposed to be Chinese? I don't think so. Give me a break. But that's what they believe. Your workbook. Oneness churches teach that speaking in tongues is the blank. You might as well put gibberish in there. Is a necessary manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And they rationalize that it says, well, since the Bible says that a person's not saved unless they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that's true. 
Okay, they say, well, then, then you have to speak in tongues in order to show that you got the Spirit. That's not true. Okay, and again, what they're doing is not even the biblical known language, Acts chapter 2. It's the gibberish thing. So uh, they, they, they say that you have to do this uh, to demonstrate that you're saved. You ha- and there's pressure. And that's why I like what he adds this. They basically say, you don't speak in tongues, you don't speak in this gibberish, you are not saved. This quote places tremendous socio-psychological pressure on adherence to conjure up the gift of gibberish. I've heard testimonies from people saying, listen, first of all, I just, I, I, I made the whole thing up just to get out of there. Or there was so much pressure on me, I basically made it up so they would back off because every week I went there and they looked down on me because I wasn't doing the gibberish thing yet. So in order to just fit in and get them off my back, I, I whooped it up. Folks, that happens all the time. And by the way, if it's really a gift of the Holy Spirit, which is what the Bible says, all gifts come from the Holy Spirit as he wills. Why is that guy teaching people to do it? He doesn't have that power. It's ridiculous. It's learned behavior, Okay. Uh, but anyway, but that's what they say. So those who do not speak in the gibberish are thought to be lacking in faith or not even uh, saved, entirely unrepentant, okay? But what's the Bible say? All spiritual gifts are distributed by who? The Holy Spirit as he wills for equipping the edification of the whole body of Christ. There is no indication that any spiritual gift is required to receive God's gift of salvation by grace or to be filled with his spirit. Why? Because when do you get the gifts? After you're saved, when you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And then he gives you the gifts that he wants to give you for the edification of the body, not yourself. So it's, it's wrong on a bunch of different levels as we already saw. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not accompanied by charismatic signs. Unfortunately, in the last century, charismatic churches have misapplied Acts 2, as we saw before. And they think that uh, you have to do that in order to show that you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. They've deemed that the absence of such signs suggests that you're, you're not truly, quote, baptized in the Spirit. But again, the gift of tongues in Acts 2 is a foundational ministry of the Holy Spirit in the early church and the original uh, beginning of the church. The giving, and speaking, uh, the giving and speaking of serving gifts were for the edification of the body and are still in function for today. However, the sign gifts, like tongues and the interpretation of Okay, or as we also saw with, with uh, prophecy and things like that, we already dealt with that in our extended study on the gifts in the first part of our charismatic study. Uh, but the sign gifts were given to authenticate the early messengers of the scripture as being from God. Remember, they're switching from the Old Covenant to the New Testament. And so God gives them sign gifts to validate the message. It's true. We don't need to oh, uh, follow the Old Testament law anymore. Now God has written his law in our hearts Right and a fulfillment, and Hebrews mentions this. He writes his laws in our hearts via the Holy Spirit that we receive at salvation. Right, and, but once that has been, if you will, codified for us, we don't need those gifts. It's all been verified. It's all been compiled. It's all right here. So we don't need those particular sign gifts. That's again the mistake that they make. Top of the last page. Oneness groups are also decidedly Arminian in the doctrine of salvation. What's that? that it's based on your shoulders and it's works-based and you have to do stuff to remain in salvation. So we saw that one uh, entity, that's what they said. You gotta pray, you gotta read the Bible, you gotta worship and be faithful. Okay, so th- that, that means it's on your shoulders. 
And even some of the charismatic community, again, you'll say, well, I believe that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, you know, because that's exactly what the Bible says. Oh, okay, we'll keep going. You say on the one side of the coin, it's by faith, not of works, but you flip that same coin over and you say, it's my works that can work me out of it. Now, that's works through and through, folks. Same side of the coin. You can't have it both ways. It's either all faith or it's works. You can't do a mixture. There is no mixture. It is plainly by faith, right? Now, they deny total depravity of man, the sovereignty of God, that man can choose to believe in God in his own free will, that God's call in the heart of the sinner can be rejected, and salvation can be, here's your blank word, lost, right? Lost. How do you respond to that? Well, as we saw last time, the scriptures declare every person is totally depraved. The doctrine of total depravity. The idea of total depravity is not that man displays as much evil as he possibly could, nor that he can't do any good, okay, or even feign a love towards God. But it means that his entire nature is affected by sin as such he is totally incapable of moving on his own towards God. You can't be good enough. You can do good works, but can you do enough good works to get you there? No, because God is what? Holy, 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 which means what? without sin guess what we've all sinned sounds like a scripture verse somewhere we've all sinned and fall short of god's glory we're depraved we can't get there we're doomed that's why the bible says when all hope was lost while we were still sinners christ died for us that's what makes it so amazing we were depraved we were totally inept we were totally headed straight to hell and god did something totally awesome he sent jesus to make a way out right but they deny that uh, the scriptures declare that God will uh, save whoever he's going to save. He goes on there with a bunch of passages. Since man is dead, blind, held captive, the remedy has to come from outside himself. God had to come and rescue us because we're all tainted with sin. It's impossible. The dead cannot cause themselves to be alive, right? The Bible talks about us being spiritually dead, right? Last time I checked, dead people don't do much. When's the last time you invited a dead person out for lunch? Please say never. Right? When's the last time you look for it? Man, this weekend's going to be a blast. I invited a bunch of dead people. We're going out on the town. It's Vegas, baby. Woo! Yeah! Party! Party! And you'll end up coming back and saying, man, that was a total drag. Dun, dun, dun. Because you had to. It's too much work. Too much work. Right? My point is, dead people don't do nothing. So God has to intervene. It's impossible. But again, the charismatic community puts a lot of this on man's shoulders. No, it's what you got to do. It's what you got to maintain. Right? If it's going to stay there, oh, maybe God got to kickstart it. Now, see, they don't say that, but that's in essence what they're teaching. Christ got to kickstart it, but there's things you got to do to keep it. Totally untrue. All right. All right. Uh, the scriptures also teach that a true believer cannot lose their salvation for the scriptures declare that nothing can separate the believer from Christ. Fantastic passage, Romans chapter eight. Nothing, life nor death, neither angel nor demon nor anything can separate us from the love of Christ. Now what part of that don't you get? Anything includes, guess what? You and me, our behavior. Is that lumped into anything? Yeah, last time I checked, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And before you even get to that, read the very first verse of Romans chapter eight in the context, right? He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now in the Greek there, 
uh, it literally screams out there in the verb form. It literally means this. There is absolutely no, not one, any, teeny, tiny, wincy, little bit, not even, don't even let it enter into your mind condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It screams out in the Greek. You cannot be condemned. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Right? And that way, the Bible says, that's why it says, you have peace with God. He, you're not at war with God. The Bible says before we say we were under, we were objects of wrath. We were under his wrath. We were at war with God. We were enemies, ungodly sinners. And through Christ, whew, I got peace with God. He's not mad at me. And he's not only not mad at me, he loves me. And he's adopted me into his forever family purely as an act of mercy by his grace tapped into how? Faith. I believe on it, I receive it by faith. Isn't that wonderful? The charismatic community typically denies that. Continue on. One Pentecostals have an unbiblical view. Here's our wrap-up. Unbiblical view, that's your blank there, of God. They got an unbiblical doctrine of Jesus Christ. They got an unbiblical understanding of man's position before God. They got unbiblical requirements for salvation. Water baptism, Jesus' name, speaking in gibberish, human effort works. So therefore, what's the synopsis? Oneness, you're absolutely right, John. Oneness, Pentecostalism, therefore, must be viewed as a, quote, Christian cult. They're not Christians. They're a Christian cult. They are pseudo-Christians, fake Christians, false Christians, just as fake and pseudo as other people out there riding their bikes, knocking on doors. That rhymes with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Got it? But they claim to be Christians. And there's a lot of this, folks, that goes on in the charismatic community. Why? Because you made the first big fatal misstep right here. You got off of this. Because God told you to tell me. Because you had a dream or vision. God gave you a new revelation for our times. When you was a wiggling and a wobbling and doing all your thing, you had this encounter, this experience that gave you goosebumps on top of you. I don't care what happened to you. Don't ever budge from the Bible. You cannot be fooled. You cannot be led astray. And you can maintain that wonderful rest in Christ, knowing that, again, other than John, the rest of us who sin every day, I can still go to sleep at night. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Because that's what the Bible says. It's a gift from God. So, again, how do you witness these folks? You sanctify your heart. Be prepared to give a defense. You pray. Make sure you understand the scriptures. Uh, Don't argue. Don't attack them. Define your words. Don't get off on tangents. And, And again, what's the big thing they need to understand? Number one thing. Okay, with all due respect, I wasn't there. I know you cried the alligator tears. I know that that seemed to be something that happened of God or you might have felt some electric shock or had this experience or so-and-so told you that you were going to be some great thing or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Can we just get back to the Bible? Can we just point our discussion on the Bible? That's the big hurdle right there. Out of the experience, back to the Bible. Why? Because if they don't drop the experience as the primary source of truth, then you're just going to go round and round and round. They have to see that truth is derived from the Bible alone. Then you can make some headway because then you just start quoting Bible. You read through the Bible. You lead them through the Bible. 
Huge, important step. And then you're going to get back on track with the nature of God, the person of Jesus, the nature of man, and then you're certainly going to get the right gospel. It ain't from baptism. It ain't with Jesus' name. It ain't with your four-step formula with the other church. It ain't speaking in gibberish. It's Jesus alone. Get rid of the Christianese, and then, of course, share what you have that they don't have. Anybody, including these people, or Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, anybody who's trusting in works does not have security because you never know how much is enough. But we have that security and they may not tell you that they're freaking out, wringing their hands. And we can say, hey, listen, you don't have to live like that. You can have peace with God right now through Jesus Christ if you trust in him and him alone. Now, next time, that finishes up our oneness Pentecostalism. Next time, we're just gonna keep going down this big split up on up till modern times. Uh, the next time we're gonna get into the assemblies of God because they begin to split off there as well. And you also had another figure uh, appear on the scene. That's this lady, Amy Semple McPherson. Okay, and out of her came a group called, a charismatic group called Foursquare. You guys familiar with Foursquare churches? Okay, yeah. So they came out from her and uh, boy, she was very well known but I'll use the word, some pretty scandalous behavior, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, but we'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, You shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy, even His name is holy. Hey folks, let's be honest, if you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard, uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? 
Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved.
Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.